You're listening to Women's Cricket Chat with Hannah and Alex. Coming up on the podcast, we've got another 2009 Double World Cup winner, four times Ashes winner, and that is Lydia Greenway. Lydia Greenway talks about her illustrious 13-year career, her coaching career, how she's found commentating, and even setting up her own coaching clinic and her own online female store to help provide gear for girls and women to create gear that's catered towards women and girls. A really good place to start is obviously yesterday was the anniversary of the 2009 World Cup win and obviously that year as a whole was huge. So talk us back through the fond memories that you've got there. Yeah, I mean, that was an amazing year for us as as players and all the coaching staff involved. And actually, that journey started a long time before the actual World Cup final. It was back in 2005 when I don't think we even made the semi-finals out in South Africa. So the journey that that group of players went on was brilliant. And yeah, just remember, we had the final out in North Sydney Oval and um, we have obviously played New Zealand and, and we, we got across the line. So uh, yeah, obviously a, a great thing to be involved with. And tell us more about that year as well, because I think I've spoken to you in the past about this, like that was the first time that I saw like women's cricket for the first time. That was when it first got kind of put on the map for me. So how important was that year generally just to get that kind of women's cricket consciousness building for perhaps my generation and others to follow? Yeah, I think it's interesting, actually, if you compare, so the 2009 World Cup out in Australia um, was sort of our winter time. And then we very quickly had the T20 2009 World Cup, which was in our English summer. And the 2009 50 World Cup, people sort of knew what was going on. It might have got a mention on the radio, but actually the one where when it was on home soil was quite a big shift, I think, in sort of people being aware of the women's game. So, you know, by the end of our final in 2009 at Lords for the T20, Lords was nearly a sellout. And a bit of a disclosure, it was a double header then. So the reason why it was nearly a sellout is actually because they had made it a double header with the men's final. So there were people trickling in to, to see the men's final who caught the end of our game. And I think those people suddenly thought, oh, OK, amazing. Like our country's just won the World Cup final. Um, so they thought, oh, it must be pretty good. And just the fact that it was covered more as well on TV, on radio. Um, it was publicised more. That was, yeah, obviously brilliant. So I think when you look back at the history of the game, that's probably certainly in England, one of the turning points, I think, for the growth of the women's game. And you also just mentioned 2005. So obviously that was a big year with the Ashes as well. So tell us about that. And obviously the kind of the celebrations that went alongside that, because again, it was alongside the men, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So we, um, it was funny, actually, because we had, we'd won the Ashes at Worcester, I think. I remember Isha Gura and Catherine Brunt were were batting and they, they batted for such a long time that it had an impact on the outcome of the result. So they, they sort of helped us win the Ashes, as did everyone involved. But we were actually waiting on the men's results because that dictated as to whether we went on the open top bus ride through London. So if, 
if it if they hadn't have won the ashes then we wouldn't have had it so they won the ashes and our sort of reward if you like was going through London the streets were packed there were literally people hanging out of office windows yeah sort of 10-15 people deep on the pavements and then we sort of made our way into Trafalgar Square and you couldn't see any pavement because it was just people like swarms of people and they were singing Jerusalem as as the buses came in and um yeah that's a moment that I will remember for a long long time just being able to have that occasion and yeah obviously share it with all all the good people that had been involved as well leading up to it obviously 2009 was a mammoth year for England women's cricket with winning both world cups being double world cup champions and winning the ashes did you feel like the momentum was with you to win the ashes or did you feel a sense of pressure to make it a three-peat no I don't think so one of the good things I think with that group of players back then was that we actually we didn't really put that much pressure on ourselves we just sort of took one game at a time and I remember 2009 ODI World Cup we didn't even talk about the final so we didn't even talk about making a World Cup final we only ever focused on the game that was in front of us and and that was very much the same with the Ashes as well we we didn't look too far ahead and I guess the good thing is is that it wasn't in the media as much so that means you don't read any hype that's been said about a series coming up or players social media wasn't as big as it is now so in a way it was much easier to remain focused but I think that's a, a challenge that players have these days is, is keeping that focus especially with with everything that goes on in the media and, and social media as well. Obviously, during that time, it was kind of the pre-professional era. So to achieve all of that, despite having to obviously, were you doing like transfer shine at that time? And like, how did you manage to actually kind of like pay your way and obviously win a double kind of World Cup that year and the Ashes? Yeah, so as you say, we were, a lot of us were Chance to Shine ambassadors. And that really was sort of the first stepping stone in us becoming professional. It allowed us to train as full time athletes, but it also gave us flexibility and allowed us to earn a salary. So Chance to Shine was sort of instrumental in that, really, because they just said to us, you know, coach with us when you can. But when you've got England commitments, that's it. You're off and, and you're going to play for England. So, um, yeah, that was brilliant for a player who I think a lot of us, we were trying to train full time and work full time. And it's just not sustainable um, from a physical point of view, just being able to, to do everything that you needed. So, yeah, that was certainly a massive shift for the way um, that we were able to train and and, um, the time that we could dedicate to it as well. Just taking it back, you made your debut in 2000 at 17 years old. What was it like to make your debut so young and did you feel a sense of pressure to achieve what you wanted from the start? It was a really strange debut to be honest because I I was in Australia touring with the under 19 England team and we had been out there we played in their state competition so we played all the states and we were out there for about a month and then I I arrived back and I'd literally been back a day and Jane Powell who I think you've had on here she was fantastic because she was actually the manager of of that group and anyway when we got back she called me and she said you know we want you to get back on a plane and fly out and join up with the England senior team this time to Australia who were playing in the Ashes and so to be honest I didn't really have that much time to think about it I remember I arrived in Brisbane we had a warm-up game and then we were 
playing at the Gabba and I was facing Catherine Fitzpatrick and for people who know the women's game she was probably the quickest bowler that the game's seen and I just remember every single batter before me coming out were covered in bruises and I thought oh gosh this isn't going to end well so yeah that was obviously a, a great experience and to play alongside a lot of fantastic players you know the Claire Taylors, Charlotte Edwards, Laura McLeod, um, so many good players that I was able to learn from. The names you just mentioned as well like everybody from that kind of cohort have achieved so much now mm. so there must be something about kind of like your generation of players and ones slightly before as well because everybody's achieving such great things and everybody's still doing things for women's cricket and like leading the way. Yeah they are I mean Lucy Pearson's another one as well she's yeah they're just I suppose with that era of players and the ones before us there was we couldn't put all our eggs in one basket really you couldn't just say I'm a professional cricketer because financially it wasn't an option so I think along the way everyone was always working so hard to maintain another career outside of of playing cricket and so I suppose that's something that is a real positive because I think one of the challenges when players come to retirement is knowing what to do but when you're in an era of 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 cricket where actually you still have to earn a living and play cricket then it probably keeps you pretty well balanced and I know obviously Sue Redfern who you've had on as well she's now leading the way with the officiating side of things so yeah it's, it's always great to see see those people who've contributed so much to the game. And then you were talking about obviously batting in your debut and what was it like being a left-hander because I mean that sounded like such a strange question then but we're severely kind of lacking some left-handed batters because when we spoke to Eve Jones she was saying like if anybody's like listening you know I'm, I'm here for a call up you know you're missing out on the lefties and that's what Australia are excelling in at the moment and they even mentioned it in their documentary recently about the power of having more left-handed batters. Oh it's so true like I've just I was lucky to to spend some of the winter out um, working with the Sydney Sixers as as their assistant coach and a big part more so in T20 cricket um, is actually the formation and, and where you position your left-handers because we know in the women's game that the ball turning away from the bat if you think of Sophie Eccleston to a right-hander she's lethal same for the leggies and then but as soon as you you send a left-hander in, actually that plays to their strength because the ball's spinning in and generally people find that much easier to play. And, and I guess as well, it's regardless of the level that you're playing, the, the left-handed, right-handed combination will always just affect the bowler's line slightly. Um, and yeah, I think it's a massive, a massive thing from a tactical point of view. And like you say, Australia have got a decent amount of left-handers. So yeah, I think as a coach, it's always nice to have options definitely do you think then England are missing a slight little trick by not having that combination well yeah I I mean yeah I'm sure Lisa Kitely head coach would say she'd love to have the option of having a left-hander I think any coach would say to you we'd love to have the option of having that left hand uh, right hand combination um, so you just mentioned with uh, the Sydney Sixers, what's the difference as well between coaching in Australia versus coaching in England? And we'll talk more about your coaching shortly as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's um, for me, just coaching in Australia was a, a completely different, not different, but a new experience because you're working with players who you've only ever known as someone that you've played against. So the like of Elise Perry, Alyssa Healy, I was suddenly working as a coach with those groups of players. And it was just amazing to get some insight in how they prepare, what makes them tick. And then just learning from, you know, there's always so much to learn. And I was lucky to work with Ben Sawyer, who was the head coach. And I think he's going to be head coach of Birmingham Phoenix in the 100 this year. So just being able to work with someone like that and and see how he works. But the competition itself, the Big Bash is brilliant. And I think and I hope that that's where the 100 will, will take the game. You know, you go to a women's game. It's a standalone game. And there's boys and girls, there's families. And it's just a great, it's a great environment to be in. And, and that, that's sort of my hope for the 100 is that that will create that sort of environment for, for us over here. Because I guess as well, we saw on social media, it kind of went viral within the New Zealand, is it called the MASH? Yes, yeah, that's right. We saw like Sophie Devine, obviously, and the young lad. And when he kind of called it out, when the presenter went over and was like, oh, what do you think of this like men's player? And he was like, well, he's not Sophie Devine. And those things are changing, aren't they? So it must be nice to see that as well. Yeah, it is. And I think it's that generation of children who don't see gender as much. I know um, I was chatting to Scott Boswell, who's head of cricket at Trent College, and They've had Jenny Gunn working at their school, which obviously is amazing to have that sort of person there. But he just said, you know, the boys don't see her as a female cricketer. They see her as, oh, my God, we've got Jenny Gunn coaching us. And he he was so genuine about it. He just said the boys are as excited as the girls um, as having Jen coach them. So that was such a nice thing to hear because it's just a massive shift in in where the game has been. And I think it makes it really exciting honestly I just got goosebumps then when you said that I was like oh my god this is what we want to hear like this is the future because it's so hard to change kind of people's perceptions when they're so ingrained and it's these younger kids and the teenagers now who that's who we want to be inspiring isn't it like it's it's those people because they're going to change the game Mm. in years to come and I think it's accessibility as well. Like I heard about the um, the women's football new broadcasting deal. And I thought, that's amazing. Like, I'm going to watch that. Like I don't actually watch much men's football, and but I will sit down and watch the women's play because it's just great. Like I think when people have the opportunity to watch more, it's amazing. You don't always have to appeal to the same people who have always watched sport. Like there's so many other people out there who want to watch something different. So yeah, really exciting sorry just went off on one then as well It's all right. That's what we like to hear on the podcast. And um, just bringing it back, you briefly mentioned about the 100. And is it true that you're going to be coaching the Oval Invincibles in the 100? I was, yes, I was going to be coaching, but I'm not anymore. The process that I was involved in last year was the recruitment of the players and I was going to be head coach. But yeah, just unfortunately, I just probably haven't got enough time to commit to that role. It's such a big role and it's such a big commitment that... You know, you want to do it properly. So, um, yeah, I can't wait for it. Um, can't wait for it to start all kicking off at, at the um, the Oval. I know you had Beth, good old uh, Beth Barrett-Wild on the other day. She's done a great job. How do you find commentating and commentary in general? And is there anyone that you particularly look up to in terms of commentating? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, to answer your first 
question. I, I love it. Like it's been um, more of a learning process. So it's like learning a new skill because you're sort of thrusted in there. You're given a microphone. You've got someone talking in your ear and you have to try and learn quite quickly. So from that point of view, I've loved it. Um, and I really enjoy trying to provide insight, um, really. And then I guess in terms of the people, I think being able to work with someone like Ishigua, who is she's one of my very good friends, but just seeing how she has developed, like she's literally one of the best in the world at the moment, regardless of gender. So just watching her, um, seeing how she goes about things, the work that she puts into it is, is ridiculous. And then actually, you know the guys are great as well working with Mark Butcher you know people like that there's, there's so many of them at Sky and, and obviously the BBC as well with the radio stuff so yeah it's just nice to to see how different people work and, and try and pick up on a, a few different things. In terms of commentating is there one that you favour more do you favour more radio or TV or do you like them both the same? I like them both the same, just um, for different reasons, actually. I think the radio, you know that you're there and you're sort of the buzz in the background. So it, it's nice and informal and it's quite comforting. And and then I guess the, the TV stuff is... Um, you have to be on to it you have to really sort of from I guess a technical point of view if you want to talk about it like that you have to really nail what you're doing so yeah I suppose I like the pressure of that side of things as well so yeah I've sat on the fence for that one sorry about that <laughs> what tips would you give to potentially somebody like Alex who wants to go into broadcast this is, you know, this is how you make networks as well Alex you know yeah. now now proper embarrassed but uh what tips would you give to somebody who is thinking of going down that path oh gosh I can't I'm still learning as well but oh what would I say I think be yourself I think it's yeah be yourself as much as possible um yeah I I suppose try and provide insight that that is of interest obviously that sort of goes without saying And then, yeah, I suppose with radio, it's just having that flow with the person that you're working with. I think if you can try and get to know them a bit more away from the microphone, then that's something that is is quite helpful as well, because you get to understand a bit more about them and how they work. So yeah, by no means I'm I'm not the the guru, but um, I guess there are a few tips that I can give. (laughs) No tip is a bad tip, in my opinion. (laughs) Okay, that's good to know. Just bringing it back to cricket, what sort of inspired you to take up cricket? Because growing up for me personally in Surrey-ish, fringe of Bromley, played in state school. So what inspired you to take it up? Well, for me, I was lucky because my dad played. So I think looking back, that was probably the main route for any young girl is if you had a male relative then you might have a chance of playing cricket whereas the refreshing thing now is actually it's in schools and it's it's an option for girls regardless of what their family's doing or their friends are doing so that's great so yeah my dad sort of introduced it to me he's he played we all sort of played at our local cricket club Hayes um, in Kent and then my schools were always really supportive actually I went to a primary school and my local state school and and they were great I think teachers have a big impact I think on girls and boys just you know you always remember your best teachers I think Um, and that's often because they're just passionate and they give you opportunity rather than being the people who teach you how to be good at sport if that makes sense I think their passion is the most important thing 
I completely agree because it was only the other week I emailed one of my old PE teachers who's still at my old school and oh, I was like, thank you so much for, you know, putting me on this path to have an interest within sport. How important has Cricket for Girls been so far? Because tell us a little bit about that. Where did that idea kind of start and how have you driven that kind of school cricket ethos? So Cricket for Girls came about when I retired, really. So I got, I wasn't too sure on what I wanted to do and had quite a few clubs get in contact and say, can you just come and do a coaching session at a school um, or our club? And I said, yeah, of course. And then just sort of made me realise, actually, there's there's people who would benefit from having female coaches in the school, I think, and the clubs. I think the role model element is really important. We've actually shifted a bit how we work now. So going back to the teachers, like I think they're the most important people when it comes to inspiring young girls. So we actually train a lot of the teachers now. So we run lots of different courses. And I think what that does is rather than relying on us as coaches to go out and deliver the programmes, it's actually the teachers can do it and it's much more sustainable. So the fact that they can do it for a long, long time rather than us just popping in and then going out again, it's not as sustainable so yeah I teach training courses and then we we just sort of go into schools and deliver one-off coaching days master classes stuff like that and then we're actually doing a bit of a road show so a cricket for girls road show so, and that's actually just more about giving keen cricketers just another opportunity to play the game so yeah it's very recreational and we want to build it and develop it as much as possible and and just create more opportunities really I think it's important. I would have honestly loved that as a kid and I wish I could go back and be a kid now because like girls have so many more opportunities it's, yeah they do it's crazy isn't it and obviously there's still so much work to be done but what are you kind of most proud of it of at this time like because it has been a big shift and you are part of that shift yeah I think just looking back on the game I think where it is now I think just the fact that you know one of the England girls can say I'm I'm a full-time cricketer I think that's really powerful because then that allows us at the grassroots end of the game to go in and say to young girls you can be a professional cricketer now and we couldn't say that a few years ago so I think that's one of the most powerful things it's just the fact with where the game's at now as you say there's still a lot to be done but I think it's a really good starting point and and I hope the only way that it can go now is, is up which is which is exciting. Despite the women's cricket game being on the rise what do you think are the challenges still facing the game? And what do you think it needs to overcome to still keep progressing to that higher level? Oh, gosh, it's a good question. I think there's so many things that you could say. But I suppose looking around the world and all the, the countries playing it, I suppose what you want eventually is more a more competitive nature with more teams. So at the moment in the women's game, although it's progressed, from an international point of view, there's probably top the top six, I would say, are, are the ones who are leading the way. But then I, I think you want that to be developed more, which it is. Thinking, you know, future World Cups, it's going to grow and grow and grow, which is brilliant. But that has to filter down and probably start at domestic level. So at I think domestic level across all the top nations, you want them to be shifting towards that 
at least semi-professional element so that they can provide continue well consistent consistently good players through their system so and then obviously the media as well I think the media plays a big part and they've always got the option to to show women's cricket or to not so you just hope that they always pick that positive one so yeah sorry quite quite broad but just yeah a few points and you just briefly touched on the media how was it dealing with the media when you were playing was it bad or was it not as severe as it is now well I suppose the one big difference we had was social media wasn't a thing when I first started and I remember when it first came out Twitter and just the concept of it I couldn't get my head around it I was like why do people want to know what we're doing? And like, do you know what I mean? So all the, a lot of the girls had signed up to it and I was so resistant. I was like, I do not understand why you're telling people what you're doing. And now, of course, it's just a part of what we do and there are benefits to it of course but I think now if I was if someone asked me for advice as a young player I, I would say stay off social media which is a hard thing to do because I think as a international cricketer you also have to think about the opportunities that come with having a media following and so it's hard to just sort of disregard that but yeah I mean when we were playing we didn't really get that much um, sort of negative press if you like and people commenting about us on social media whereas I think the girls have to deal with that a lot more now and that's something that is a a challenge for them but there are positives as well I'm, I'm sure. Something that I did want to bring up is obviously I saw yesterday Laura Marsh has launched her kind of spin coaching bowling analysis enterprise now. So how important do you think these individual kind of endeavours are for your own careers post-cricket, but also for the game generally? Yeah, I think it's really important. I suppose from a, yeah, I guess as a player, when you're in that environment, you're very used to just being controlled. You're sort of told where to be, what time, what you need to be wearing, what you need to eat. And it's all very regimented. So I think when you come out of playing, it's always nice to get back that element of control and think, okay, what do I actually want to do? And so I think, you know, for Laura, it's a great sort of endeavour for her because it's it's a massive, it's learning a new process and also it's using her expertise in something that she was one of the best at. So that will only um, inspire youngsters as well to to have that opportunity to work with with someone like Laura is is brilliant and uh, and I think it's just important that people recognise how how much of a great opportunity that is you know just to pick the brains and work with one of the best in the business when it comes to off spin so yeah I, I think that it's a real positive for lots of different reasons. You launched your own female cricket coaching academy in 2017. Did you find it difficult to transition from being a player to a coach? Yes, a few people have asked me this. And I think the one thing that really helped me was um, the fact that I was in control of the decision. When I was playing, I did a, a degree through the Open University. And one of the projects I decided to do was athlete transition. So when they retire, how are they affected and what makes for a good transition out of being full-time professional to then going into everyday life and the biggest factor is how the decision is made in terms of your retirement so are you in control of the decision so is it something that you decided on your own terms or was your decision brought on because you got injured or because 
someone said we don't want to pick you anymore so I think I was quite conscious of that so I think being in control of that decision hopefully I think I've been okay up until today I think I'm, I'm doing all right so just from a mental point of view I, I feel yeah feel in a good place and I, I have done since so yeah just sort of hopefully that decision and the control element was something that has helped as well just cope with that transition I guess that's another kind of string to your bow as well. You can do that kind of consulting and life coach kind of piece as well. Like, is there anything that you can't do? Because Alex and I were speaking beforehand and we were like, okay, so she's like a player, coach, commentator, also has multiple businesses, the female cricket store, like cricket for girls. Like, how do you have any time to yourself as well? Because that's so much. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. I think that's the saying. No, I, I just enjoy the variety, to be honest, just the variety of doing different things. And yeah, like you say, the challenge on keeping on top of everything. Yeah, it's I, I love it. It's, you know, you get out of bed and, and you've got so many different things to do. And, and ultimately, just the thing that I do genuinely love is just trying to help the game. So just I've talked to so many parents, people at clubs and there's so many amazing people out there wanting to help the women and girls game and often they don't always know how to do it so it's like okay what can we do to help them so yeah I genuinely love that part of it and obviously chatting with you guys as well what you're doing is is something that's needed as well just people want to hear about the women's game I think (laughs) hopefully yeah no but hopefully people do because the reception we've had has been really positive but I can completely like relate at the moment I'm just so I don't want to sit still and I don't want to just be like an academic and I want to do the media stuff then but I want to help make the changes that we want to see and stuff so surely it's it's nice to have your have insight in different areas so that it's not like you're doing something which is completely away from your PhD it's like directly linked to it I suppose well I keep saying everything's linked to it just to make (laughs) myself feel a little bit less guilty for when I'm not actually sat like writing up and stuff but I've got to like 50,000 words now which I surprised myself it's another a minimum of 80,000 so it's it's on its way it's on its way and I've started doing the analysis, so but I haven't mentioned to them yet that I want to work for hundreds and Alex and I have both applied at the moment, but Oh uh, yeah. Is that waiting. the surprising? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's really, really good. How do you um like channel your energies into all these different projects as well? And which project are you enjoying most? Oh gosh. Um yeah, I mean, but obviously Cricket for Girls was the first one that I started and I think that's something that I just love. Like I'm really passionate about it. I love working with the teachers. Then the female cricket store, that is I love that for a different reason because I think it's genuinely solving a problem and I think it is helping break down one of the barriers that is sort of linked to cricket for women and girls is the equipment that we get is only for boys and stuff like that. So that's something that I I really enjoy doing. And I think, you know, that we will only ever add to that. I think there's so many people now realising we have to do more for the women and girls game. So that's good. Yeah, I guess the clothing side of it, we're trying to get um, a women's clothing range. We've got a training range out. But the, yeah, that that's probably the biggest challenge at the moment is getting the women's clothing range to, um, together because, as we know, it, we all come in so many different shapes and sizes that it's important that we reflect that. It's important, I think, as well, because if you feel comfortable in what you're wearing, then you're more confident as well. We go into into schools and young girls are like, oh, cricket, we've got to wear those whites and things like that. So just trying to help 
break down those barriers I suppose but yeah in answer to your question I enjoy them all and yeah try and sort of split the time evenly between them all yeah because you just mentioned as well about clothing so we spoke to um Sue Strachan as well about this but I'm not sure if I actually went in the final edit or not about obviously like periods and whites and stuff because I know like speaking very obviously honestly and openly with me I was like 11 or 12 I was playing like boys cricket and I had like one of my first periods and it was really kind of awkward I don't think anybody actually saw kind of thing yeah that genuinely kind of not scarred me but made me very kind of self-conscious playing cricket for the rest of the time and I saw like Izzy Westbury tweeted back along about like wearing two pairs of pants some like undershorts underneath your whites and stuff just to feel comfortable and we've got to remember this is like peak summertime as well and it, obviously it's not the most comfortable yeah thing to do and everything when like you are so paranoid and it's summer and you just want to just wear some pants under some like trousers and not really care yeah, um, yeah. I know you've got some like period pants on your store and everything so how important like you've already touched on is clothing for women's game and catering it for women yeah I think I I don't think I've ever met someone who isn't conscious of that issue as a cricketer especially if they're wearing cricket white so and even more so for young girls I think it's such a like you say it's such a you're so conscientious of everything and and your period is probably one of the biggest ones you desperately want to play sport but there's this one thing holding you back so yeah we've got these um these sort of period wear um underwear which just like I wear them now and I just it just provides you with so much confidence and I think the other element is for parents so we've actually you know if there are sort of single dads out there who look after their daughter it's a really nice thing to be able to offer them because they're obviously trying their best to understand what their child needs so that's a really nice thing to offer as well obviously for mums as well it's the same so yeah I think all of those things like shouldn't really but it might still be a bit of a taboo just talking openly about it but it really shouldn't be because it's just a very natural thing so if we can provide something that again just gives them girls and women more confidence then um and that's great as well it's another sort of tick in the box really yeah because I don't even know why I was getting a little bit embarrassed to even say that then and I was like Mm. why am I working myself up just to be like yeah I had a period in whites like it's as simple as that isn't it but it's obviously you get made to feel a certain way I guess but also even leggings because I struggle now playing like dabbling in and out a bit of like club cricket Mm. just finding leggings that aren't see-through which sounds really stupid and I think any men listening to this will be like what is she talking about yeah but it's so true like isn't it like it's so hard to find leggings and stuff so tell us about all of your range with um Victrix. Yeah, so Victrix, it, it means female champions. So we've gone down the route. So like for us, female champions is, can be anyone. It's not just, you know, it's not just the elite cricketers. It's the mums who are playing cricket and they're trying to juggle lots of different things. It's the, the older teenagers. So I think one thing with Victrix is we want to create this community and just this understanding that we all have different challenges, but ultimately we all we are all striving to be the best that we can be. So we just developed this range. So we we've got leggings actually, Hannah, and hopefully they won't be see through. Well, they I can tell you that they're not because I wear them. So um, yeah, we've got some leggings and yeah, just all training equipment, training clothing. So um, for because I know a lot of women who play the game, they don't actually like wearing the traditional 
sort of trousers so they actually like having just a nice pair of leggings a nice top or a vest um, a nice hoodie so we've yeah just developed that range and yes yeah because no, I think it is so important especially to listen to women because that's what I'm trying to do with like my research career is I want to develop that down the road it has to be led by athlete voices if that's what I'm sticking to or participant voices regardless of who that looks like but I just want to pick up on your International Women's Day quote that you put on Twitter. It says, everyone thinks women should be thrilled when we get crumbs. And I want women to have the cake, the icing and the cherry on top too. And that's Billie Jean King. So tell us what kind of bird you want to post that and what does that actually mean to you? Oh, gosh. Um, I think it's just for me, just with some of the experiences that I've had, you're sort of in situations where you're expected to accept much less than what you should be getting I suppose is the most simplest way that I can put that and that might be for many different things and so I just think that there is a level where of course we have to understand that the women's game is growing and it's making some really great strides which I think we always have to appreciate but also recognize when it's just not enough and so people taking easy options to not support the women and girls game like I don't think is on like there's no reason why people should be taking those options now things like at a cricket club I guess the simplest example why do the women's team always have to play on the the back square or the second pitch like genuinely why does that have to happen and it should it just shouldn't happen so I suppose that's what I mean is just with all different things yeah just want to make sure that that women and girls are getting the right stuff and yeah that's that's sort of my view on it really I'm going to pass you across to Alex but first I just want to quickly add and I'm so sorry Alex but you just reminded me as well because I've been literally saying that quote recently as well because I'm like I completely agree and we've been chatting like me and my old kind of cricket girls and stuff about all the different experiences of when you play men's cricket and you get changed in like a broom cupboard and when you get treated as like as a nuisance rather than being included and I think you just literally nailed it there like we need to stop all of this like being on the second pitch when you're the first team and you've got the Sunday fourth team playing on the first team instead and all that kind of stuff but I'll pass you across to Alex now and I will be quiet I promise Alex. My question is about well you had an illustrious 13-year playing career for England Jenny Garn had a 15-year career Catherine Brunt is still going Charlotte Edwards had a long career what is the key to success and longevity playing for the England women's side? Oh, good question. Um, I think obviously keeping yourself fit is a big one. Um, and yeah, looking after your body. But then I think also like having your achievements that you want to achieve in mind. So just having those goals in mind. So I actually remember when I first I made my debut for England when I was 17, and then I got in and I remember when I was really young, that was all I ever wanted to do. And then so I achieved it and I think I forgot to reset my goals. So I thought, right, I'm in, I'm playing for England, great. Like I've done it. And so then when I got into sort of my early 20s, I wasn't really trying to achieve anything. So I, I then reset my goals and, you know, the team goals that you have, the individual goals that you have. And I think that in its simplest form, it just gives you motivation. It gives you focus and it gives you a reason to just keep training as hard as you can and keep tr- contributing. And so, yeah, I think that's important. And obviously enjoyment, I think post towards the end of my career, I probably stopped enjoying it as much as I should have done. So as long as you're still enjoying it, like playing with someone like Charlotte Edwards, she, you know, she just loves the game. So just that passion and and enjoyment for it is something that is 
big driver, I think, in longevity. And like you say, old Catherine Brunt still going, which is brilliant to see. She's been a brilliant sort of ambassador for the game. And yeah, she's as motivated as anyone, which is is great. Do you think that with Lottie being announced as like the head of the PCA, that's only going to elevate the women's status and the women's game? Yeah, definitely. I mean, anything that she's involved with is generally a good thing. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I think the PCA have done a, a great job. They really looked after me when I retired, just in terms of that player welfare element. And I think more than anything with someone like her in that role, she understands probably what it's like for these new wave of domestic players, because they're not quite professional yet. They're sort of in the, between that that area, between being sort of amateur to being professional so she understands what the players in those situations need as well and I know Rob Lynch at the PCA he's he's a real sort of driver for the women and girls that game and is so eager to support it as well so yeah it's brilliant that she's in in that role. But thinking as well about the structures that have changed you mentioned KSL earlier how important have all of these kind of domestic leagues been in the UK but also globally? Yeah, I think they're really important. I think I remember when sort of back in the day we had Super Fours and that was the best sort of 48 players in, in the country and that just drove the um, standard of cricket. But I think for me on a global level, every country should sort of fire to have a competition like that because it only develops the players coming through to that top end of the game. And I guess it's that pyramid thing. The more you've got at the bottom of the pyramid, the more you've got filtering up. So, yeah, I I think on a global level, that's what teams should strive for is having that brilliant domestic competition, which attracts the best players in the world. And obviously, I mean, it will be a challenge when all countries have that. But I think it will be a good challenge to have in terms of opportunities for players, because now at the moment, you only really see sort of the the big names, uh, the ones flying around to play in all these different things. I think it's about giving opportunity to perhaps the teams who don't have as much opportunity from an international point of view, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, because I think, I don't know if this is the same kind of page or whatever, but thinking about obviously Thailand last year making their kind of World Cup tournament debut, some of those players are, well, they're talented to be there, aren't they? Like, they're there on merit, they're not there because, you know, they're just an add-on or whatever, like, and those players don't have the same opportunities to play in all these leagues, like, I think what some players perhaps take for granted. Definitely. I think it's all, like you say, it's all about opportunity, that if those players are given opportunity over a period of time they will compete like there's no doubt about it so it's just how what can be done to create that opportunity and like you say having more of those sort of domestic competitions allowing them play against each other more is really important so yeah massive massive one for just trying to create as much opportunity as possible. I think that's a really nice place to kind of wrap up and Alex, have you got any other questions or should we just do the quick fire ones and then conclude? I've just got a quick question. Yeah, go for it. What are your hopes for the 2021 season, be it with coaching, commentating, the works? 
Oh, gosh. Um, just want it to all be successful. I think, yeah, the 100 for me, I, I want it to be a success because I, I think it's a great, um, obviously, I'm involved in it. And I know people have different views on on the 100. But I think it, it's only going to elevate the game more. So hopefully that can be successful. And we can be helped by good weather by hopefully allowing some crowds in if, if it's safe. And then I guess from another point of view, I want to see more domestic players challenging in England players for spots I think that that would then put us in a really good position so finding some real hidden gems coming through this this year I think will be a nice outcome as well perfect well Alex is a pro at these very quick fire questions so (laughs) do you want to kick them off Alex yeah sure favorite genre of music (laughs) indie rock that one's easy favorite band or musician oh that's a bit harder isn't it um probably someone like oasis i'd say last book you read last book i read oh my gosh one of my weaknesses is i have about five books on the go um what did i read oh i'll tell you what it was it was about netflix and how netflix was developed a boring business book yeah (laughs) last tv show you binge watched oh what was that the missing it's, a, it's an older one now the missing with James Nesbitt in I think when you were playing cricket who was your best friend in the team oh gosh I had a few so can I name a few or do, I can't go for it go for it well obviously Lottie cause played with her for a long time and then there was sort of a group so Ish, Jenny Gunn, Beth Morgan and Laura Marsh and Catherine Brunt favourite place you've toured well that's a good one um probably India I think for the experience India then I'm gonna let Hannah ask the next one because it is her favourite question to ask (laughs) this also makes me sound really mean but what is your favourite sledging term well the thing is because I was a batter I never sledged anyone because you're you know you know it's going to bite you in the backside so yeah sorry terrible answer but I just haven't got one see I'm not having any of this because everybody <laughs> says oh no I never sledged and I'm like come on you must have said some sort of maybe it was just yeah, terrible yeah. like terrible chat instead because oh gosh I'm sure there's been a few but it doesn't matter if they're not PG either because I just remember growing up all the terrible chat that us girls used to have yeah, about like, Wales. <laughs> yeah all of those especially when you play against Wales and it's like oh, so, you know oh quite a brutal one actually I was on the receiving end of it Alyssa Healy we were playing in a test match and she was she, what did she say I think she said you're boring everyone boring everyone this is going to be your last test match and it was my last test match. <laughs> it actually made me laugh because I obviously work with her now. So I'm with the Sydney Sixers. And when you get to know her, you just realise that there's absolutely no malice in it at all. It's just literally, you know, to try and distract you. But that was quite a brutal one. <laughs> that is savage. Is, yeah. <laughs> one of my friends once told me that my batting's so boring. It's like watching um, paint dry. And that stuck with me. And it's really scarred me because I hate batting. <laughs> It's because I'm like, I know I'm so boring. I think this is why I hate it, but no. Well, that gives you a license to go out there and go against the grain and, you know, try and work out the part. No, I can barely get it off the square. <laughs> um, Alex, have you got a couple more? And then we will let you escape. Hannah, if you've got a couple, go for it. Uh, Favourite innings? Oh, this is a just a selfish one, but just down at the Rose Bowl, well, Southampton, the Aegeus Bowl, helped win the Ashes. That was a good one a few years ago. Favourite international player to play with? 
probably a couple. So, well, so they're all Kiwis, actually. So Emily Drum, who was our first Kent overseas player, one of the first, learned so much from her. And then more recently, Sarah McGlashan and Susie Bates. They're a good breed, I think, the Kiwis. Yeah, just learned a lot from them and enjoy playing with them. And final one, what is your favourite tea item? Favourite tea item? Yeah, in terms of cricket tea, a classic. What's your first item that you go to? Well, it's got to be a scone, hasn't it? With a bit of cream and jam. That works. Which way round? Cream first, definitely. And then the jam on top. What are you guys? I don't really eat scones, but I think you're going to spark the debate about how it's pronounced now. I say scone, but some people say scone. I say both. But thank you so much for coming on. And sorry we've stolen an extra five minutes. No problems. Nice to chat to you both. Yeah, genuinely really appreciate it. And hopefully there's lots of power quotes that we'll put out across social as well. Thanks, guys. Well done. You're doing a great job. As are you with your female cricket store, which I think is a genius idea. If that had been around when I was growing up, I think I would have been more inclined to take up cricket. We shall let you escape. But before we do, we just realised that we need to get your social media stuff for the cricket store and everything. If you could quickly just steal Um, that out and then... So Twitter is at Cricket for Girls, all lowercase. Then my one is just at Lydia Greenway. Do you want the Victrix and female cricket store? Yes, please. Victrix is at Sports Victrix with a capital S on sports and a capital V. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thank you so, so much. Have a lovely rest of the day. You too. Bye. Bye. Massive thank you to Lydia for coming on and being a guest on the podcast. If you wanted to follow the female cricket store on Twitter, it's at the female CKTST1. It was really great to chat to Lydia and talk to her about all things England, post-playing career, commentating opportunities, and to get to know Lydia as a person away from cricket. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat and on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. And if you wanted to give our personal Twitters a follow, Hannah is at HannahT1194 and I'm at Alex Jane Pereira. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time.